Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, the practical voice podcast. This episode of VUX World is brought to you by the Conversational Academy. Now, if you are looking to be a conversation designer, a VUI designer, if you're looking to either break into the industry or keep up to date with the current theory and methodology, then you should check out the Conversational Academy's online course. It will take you from novice to expert or from beginner to expert or if you're already pretty handy then it will top up your knowledge and turn you or keep you on top of the conversational design game it is very well put together it's an online course as well so you can do it at your own pace there's every tutorial has a video and then like a little exam at the end of it as well which makes sure that you're paying attention and you can test your knowledge to make sure you've took it in at the end Hans van Dam is the presenter and the teacher for the course he's been on the podcast in the past from Robocop He's already taught us a lot about conversation design, and this course takes that podcast episode to the next level. It's a pretty long course. There's a bags and bags and bags of material in there, and I'm, I've done the course myself, and I can genuinely vouch for it when I say that it is absolutely fantastic. Top up your skills and get yourself in a position to take advantage of the new and next uh, desired skill set in the world of user experience design. Get yourself to the Conversational Academy and join that online course. If you go to the link in the show notes, and the link is also on the VUX World website on this podcast page, follow that link. It'll take you straight there. And there's even a little discount as well for VUX World listeners. So get yourself on it. Perfect. And there's even a little discount as well for VUX World listeners. So... Do not delay, get on it right now. And there's even a little discount on there as well for VUX World listeners. So do check it out, the Conversational Academy. Thank you for sponsoring this episode. On today's podcast, we're speaking to Nick Rovisa, the Director of Business Development at Rain Agency, and Matt Lang, the Strategy Director at Rain Agency. We're continuing Rain Week. At the beginning of the week, we had Greg, Greg Hedges from Rain. We were talking about the background to Rain and what the agency does and how they approach creating literally world class voice experiences for some of the biggest brands in the world Tide, Campbell's, Nike, Unilever, you name it. Um, and this episode with Matt and Nick is going to be looking at two case studies in particular, the work that they did with Nike on a sneaker drop, which was a, literally in between a halftime basketball game, uh, they launched a pair of sneakers, they dropped, or dropped is the, is the cool phrase to use, they dropped a pair of sneakers during the halftime interval, um, and it you know, had a massive impact on sales. Uh, and then the Unilever project was one where they were working with influencers to try and drive traffic to the Unilever skill. Um, and they put it in the, in the context of a morning routine. So it was a lot of influencers sharing uh, content on morning routines and beauty tips and stuff like that. It got a 10% conversion rate onto the Unilever email list. There's a little uh, spoiler for the episode. Um, so voice, it, you know, it seems to be converting. 
So, yeah, so this episode, is, it's fantastic. It gives you an overview of how some of the big brands are approaching voice from a strategic perspective. There's a few design tips in there as well, some technical challenges that they've had to overcome. And then towards the end, we get into a bit of a discussion about how voice is lacking and what is lacking. And we talk a little bit about the similarities or differences between voice right now and social and whether there's any learnings that we can learn from the social space and from the mobile space to make voice experiences more discoverable. So the, the last 10-minute discussion is probably worth bringing to the front because we, you can see that we're going backwards and forwards and we're, we're collectively developing our thoughts on this um, so we've probably left a little bit on the table as well but this episode is an absolutely fantastic episode it caps off rain week on VUX World it's Nick Rovisa and Matt Lang on VUX World VUX World VUX World VUX World Branding with the big faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about voice. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Well, Matt and Nick, welcome to VUX World. Thank you, Kane. Good to be here, man. Thanks, Kane. Absolute pleasure to have you on. Dustin, this is part two of Rain Week. Yeah, part two. It's it's great. It's uh Rain is doing such awesome things that we couldn't contain it to just one episode. So you guys are going to have to, to dig in pretty deep and tell us what's going on over there. Oh, uh, you guys are too kind. So we did we did an episode with Greg, uh, Greg Hedges, at the beginning of the week. Uh, we spoke a lot about uh, the RAIN philosophy, a lot about the journey that RAIN have been on from 2015 when you started focusing on voice to today wholeheartedly full voice agency one of the top agencies in the world really certainly one of the top agencies over in the US um, we spoke also about the Kung Fu Panda skill and some of the sort of design practices and techniques used in there but today we're going to talk a bit about uh, some of the case studies that you've been working on over the last few months and for those people um, who are dipping into this podcast who haven't heard the one from the beginning of the week do you want to kind of kick us off a little bit by just give us a, a quick overview run through of what RAIN is and then we'll get into the background of yourselves and your experience and all that today. But first of all, I don't know, Nick, do you want to sort of take us through just a bit of a higher level overview of what RAIN is and what RAIN does? Uh, yes, can do. Thanks a lot. Uh, so uh, at RAIN, we like to call ourselves uh, pioneers of voice in voice and uh, conversational AI. You know, when clients and partners work with us, you know, they're plugging into the accumulated experience of some of the leading voice and conversational experts, as you, as you mentioned. For half a decade, our teams have engineered uh, conversational experiences for some of the world's leading enterprises, uh, like uh, Tide, the NFL, Campbell's, as you mentioned, Warner Brothers, uh, BlackRock, Nike, uh, you know, variety that we'll get into. But um, uh, yeah, we're, we're creative and strategy and engineering all under one roof. Uh, we think that also, that's also something that sets us apart. Um, we, we approach every ask with a sort of a strategic lens first. We make sure we weave in our creativity um, and we have an amazing CTO and engineering team that sits in our Salt Lake City, Utah office uh, that is able to bring any of these experiences to life as well. So. Um, that's kind of us in a nutshell. I can definitely go into a little more detail, but um, that's right. Cool. So, Nick, you are the Director of Business Development. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do at RAIN and, and how you've got into this situation you're in now in the world of voice? Yeah, yeah, I, I will. Um, so, 
I joined Rain uh, just over three years ago. Uh, and actually, I joined as a digital producer on the team. Uh, I was excited uh, at the company's prospects. And, and at the time, they were sort of a generalist digital agency, but they certainly uh, had uh, dipped their toes into voice. And I was super interested in that area. I uh, didn't you know, have a background in it or anything like that, but more digital project management. Um, so joining the company uh, was surrounded by extremely talented, smart people, uh, driven people, uh, and we were taking on just really interesting projects, uh, especially in voice. And so through uh, just sort of managing the projects and understanding how to budget them out, you know, just understanding generally the lift involved across VX, creative, you know, QA, script writing, all those types of different aspects. Um, it became clear that I had a, a good grasp of uh, uh, generally how we could potentially, you know, sell these and, and package up what we were doing uh, from a services standpoint all the way through to uh, actually building uh, these products. And so I had let them know, you know, that I was interested in uh, more of a sales function, you know, a business development function. And we worked uh, over the course of time to, uh, to transition me into that role, which I've now had uh, for about the past year. Um, and it's exciting because I get to work with our teams to figure out what we're going to bring to market, uh, how we're going to bring them to market, uh, and, you know, including our inbound and outbound strategy. I also work very closely with Matt, who you'll hear from in a minute, uh, on our voice on voice newsletter, which I hope you guys uh, enjoy. Um, and yeah, just sort of uh, trying to position uh, Rain, uh, always trying to kind of position us as not only the leaders in the space, but ensure that we're always doing something interesting uh, and hopefully something bleeding edge. We're definitely looking for those opportunities that uh, will give us something really interesting to talk about on podcasts like this with you guys. So uh, that's, that's kind of my role in a nutshell and how I got to it. Um, yeah, I'm happy to answer any other questions you have. Nick, something I'm curious about is we're going to talk uh, this episode about companies that you do work with and what they wanted to do. I'm interested in the prospects that you've spoken with, that you've tried to get to do something on voice, who ended up passing. Uh, why do they, what do they say when they say voice isn't for us right now? Yeah, that, that's interesting. So the way that most of our opportunities begin is uh, with strategy and, and it's purposeful. We, we definitely, one of our mantras that Greg I'm sure hit on is we, we don't build tech for tech's sake. So sometimes we will get opportunities our way that, uh, you know, a client just wants to build something, but isn't necessarily rooted in strategy or it certainly doesn't align with uh, what we think they should be doing. And we'd rather, you know, do more of a discovery led uh, approach to figure out what to do. So in those cases, uh, they'll, they'll typically take business elsewhere to just get the thing built. Uh, but aside from that, I think what we run into a lot right now is the market, as far as I'm concerned, is still, there's still a very, very wide gap in, I think, what people's expectations of cost around experiences in this space uh, should be. Uh, we've had discussions, very high level smart discussions with prospects that ultimately led to them thinking this would cost around five, you know, $5,000 US to build, 
all the way through to the other end of the spectrum where there's people whose you know expectations are in the couple hundred thousand dollar range so i think that that's something else that we're running into is just the the gap in knowledge and understanding of is this a true app you know is this an application where an entire team with uh, across disciplines is building to create uh, and optimize over time and really set up a great foundation for that or is this simply another channel to distribute content through and and you know if we can get to where they're they are in their understanding uh, of what these what this is uh, i think that definitely helps us but um, to, to summarize, it's, it's, if it's not strategically led, uh, we typically don't, don't land those. And, and also, if uh, price is, is a big issue, if they're very price sensitive, uh, that's also a, a case that we won't win the business. So what it sounds like is generally people are interested in voice and you're able to convince them that this is something that is worthwhile. It's just a matter of prioritizing it against everything else. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. It, the doing an enterprise level or a company level or a business line level strategy to set the foundation, almost like a, you know, if you have these digital centers of excellence, almost like establishing a voice center of excellence, you know, or, or, or a main company POV. Uh, it's just such a critical first step to getting everyone on the same page and getting everyone like kind of speaking the same language and understanding what it is we're trying to do again, versus just, Oh, that team is, you know, building a, an Alexa skill uh, and, you know, who knows why, or who knows what they'll do with it. Uh, so it, and that's why we always try to move people to uh, the strategy and discovery first uh, before we ever get into the building. Yeah. Cool. I'm just glad that now I can put names to the people behind the newsletter. I've always wondered who who is it at Rain? Who does it? So. Yeah, I can't, take, I can't take a lot of the credit for it. I just ensure that it gets out and that, you know, the email service providers up and, and everyone that's subscribing is, is getting it. And most of, you know, the content development and everything comes from Matt and our uh, strategy team. They're great. Wicked. So Matt, strategy director at Rain, do you want to tell us a little bit about, about what you do, apart from obviously putting together one of the best newsletters in the voice industry? <laughs> well, thanks for that, Kane. Um, yeah, my role at Rain, uh, like you mentioned, I'm a strategy director here. I've been with the firm about four and a half years now. Uh, and my role, uh, from my perspective, is really kind of broken into three parts. So um, obviously, like Nick said, we like to lead a lot of our engagements with strategy work. So one of the first things I dive into is a lot of consumer research and trying to frame up the client's uh, business challenge uh, and trying to figure out uh, you know, a solution that works for them in the voice world. So. Uh, the second piece there is really just giving them uh, appropriate guidance on steering them towards a solution and voice. What's the right kind of experience? What platform should you build on? Um, and then all the way through taking it through actual execution of the experience. So as Nick mentioned, we obviously have uh, you know, an excellent engineering team, a lot of developers, a lot of VX talent in-house here um, that creates these great things. And it's sort of on me to make sure that it's uh, doing what we said it was supposed to do at the outset on strategy. So um, that can involve things like reporting on uh, you know, success or things that we're seeing as challenges, as well as sort of uh, framing results for the client and trying to say, what did we learn from this? How can we optimize it? Um, 
So that's kind of a good summary of uh, the day-to-day -day role that I play. Uh, and then outside of that, um, as you guys have kindly mentioned, uh, do a lot of thought leadership internally and try and just stay on top of research in the space. Um, and one of the avenues we've done that through is the uh, newsletter that Nick mentioned. So um, we actually started the newsletter more on kind of a monthly basis or even less frequent. And then just as the space kept growing and gaining momentum, we found that there was just so much happening every week that people wanted to know about and in our opinion needed to know about in terms of features or interesting experiences launching uh, or just developments in the market more broadly that uh, we've moved it to a weekly and uh, that takes up a good amount of time as well. So um, definitely an exciting time to be here and uh, a nice role where I have uh, visibility into a lot of things going on in yeah, and I really think, you know, Kane already said it's a great newsletter, but I think that and the research that all of you do is really invaluable. And I highly recommend anyone who really wants to start up a voice effort inside their company to to follow that and to f forward that along to their colleagues as well. At Algolia, we're starting up our voice and conversational efforts and the resources that you all send out is incredibly useful because I can just then turn it around and send it off to all my coworkers and they can see and they can go, you know, this is something that's really growing. I understand why we're putting these efforts behind it and uh, it, would be so much more difficult to gather if you weren't putting it together. So, uh, you know, if someone wants to learn about it, obviously that's great, but it's also just a fantastic tool for, you know, enlisting colleagues to be excited about voice as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's how we're trying to use it internally too. I think all organizations, um, you know, are striving for better knowledge sharing, um, you know, better intelligence just across the organization. So, you know, something we like to do is also have this group, uh, you know, myself, Nick, and a few others that are kind of in charge of uh, sourcing all the research that comes out and trying to deliver it to the people who um, are working, you know, in the weeds, so to speak, on a project day to day. So they might not always have the time to hear about the latest thing because they're focused on, uh, you know, very involved client work during the day. So it's nice uh, for us to use as a tool internally, too, just to make sure that all the information is getting to the right people and the right clients uh, and that we're all collectively just improving our, uh, you know, research and, uh, you know, ability in space. Cool. Um, so we'll get into some of the stuff that you've been working on recently then. There's been quite a lot of um, things that you've been working on recently. We mentioned we spoke to Greg Hedges uh, at the beginning of the week and he was talking about the Kung Fu Panda. We did reference the, the Nike work that you've been doing, the Unilever work that you've been working on. Do you want to kind of give people, maybe just skim over the top of some of the stuff you've been working on recently and then maybe we can drill down into some of it uh, as we go through. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, Matt, why don't you why don't we start with uh, Unilever, uh, Rise and Shine, and then uh, we can transition over to Nike. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, Unilever, um, we did some work with them. It started off um, as a play for health and wellness. It was actually uh, originally came to us as something they were interested in doing for their Vaseline brand. Um, they had a lot of consumers that are really interested in health and wellness tips. Um, were very influenced by bloggers and vloggers in the space. Um, and they were looking, also just as an organization, Unilever was looking to invest in voice and find a way to bring that into their marketing mix. Um, from there, uh, we actually expanded it to include a whole bunch of their brands. So. Uh, you know, it was Tresemme, Nexus, um, Vaseline, Simple Skincare, um, a couple others as well, um, just to bring together all the different tips and content that they had. Uh, and the real crux of the experience was bringing in uh, some of these influencers that Unilever already worked with that we knew resonated with uh, this audience that they were trying to engage. 
uh, and having them really be the voice of the experience. So each week you would come into this experience um, and there would be a new host, so to speak, and that, that influencer would give their perspective and tips for the week on uh, skincare and the morning routine, uh, different things like that. So. Um, it was really a quick, uh, you know, seven-week pilot uh, that we got a lot of learnings out of in terms of how to use um, influencers and voiceover talent on an Alexa skill and also more broadly just using um, connected social channels to drive people to voice in that marketing mix. So a lot of these influencers would uh, go and post on their Instagram stories or their uh, Twitter feeds and say, you know, I'm hosting this experience on a voice platform this week. You guys should tune in. Um, and we saw a lot of really interesting stuff with that. But that's uh, kind of the top line on what happened in Unilever. Vaseline seems pretty interesting because, uh, you know, we often talk about voice being good for the the older audience, uh, but also it's a very tech savvy audience as well. And Vaseline to me seems like something that my mother bought and, and probably her mother bought as well. Was this an effort to use voice to start connecting with a younger audience? Uh, in, in a sense, yes, they do have a younger target. So I think when most people think about Vaseline, they're probably thinking about the kind of jelly uh, substance, but they also do make a lot of more, um, you know, traditional lotions uh, and skincare products as well. So it was really built around those products, which were already geared and marketed towards this younger audience. Um, and then again, part of what we did through this strategy exercise was say, you know, Vaseline as a brand is interesting, but do they have the right to talk about all of this stuff in the world of skincare uh, and hair care? And so um, that's why we ended up bringing in other brands to the experience too. So you could have, uh, you know, an influencer that really enjoys Vaseline products, talk more on the skincare side of things about the lotions they use. And then the next day, if someone's really interested in hair care, you could have someone that uh, works with Tresemme or Nexus really talk about their experience there. So we thought that made for a richer and more diverse experience where people aren't just going to tune in every day for the same old skincare tip, really the Vaseline, but get a different brand, uh, get a different tip, uh, get a different idea each day from someone that they find credible. So it was a different, so it was a daily thing, a different tip every day, but a different influencer every week. Yeah, that's correct. Yes, and, and it's because, too, I think an important learning that we got uh, that I would share in case anyone is looking to uh, utilize influencers in this uh, new and ever-evolving voice space is that we ran into uh, some, I wouldn't say challenges, but we just, we ran into some issues with licensing where the influencers were used to, um, you know, contracts that related to Instagram posts and social media activity, but they didn't really account for this new voice, uh, you know, channel and this new, this new uh, way to license their content in, in a different way, their actual audio content. So um, we settled on being able to have the influencers own each of their individual weeks, you know, and it would be in the experience for that week, but then afterwards um, to, so as not to incur a huge cost and, and a huge extension in the license, uh, they would come off uh, the platform once the entire pilot was over. Um, but the idea would be, and the roadmap certainly would be that if we could get that, build up that database of this influencer content, you could really start to see where this could go over time, um, where you could pull from previous content, you could start to really personalize to the individual users that just got there. Um, but 
unfortunately, that that is an, an area that uh, I think we need to uh, we need to think about uh, as we as this whole, as influencers permeate uh, kind of this audio space as well as certainly through these Alexa and Google's uh, Google Action experiences. That's interesting. So. So they hadn't. So because it, they hadn't presumably been approached before to do this kind of work, they hadn't had anything necessarily on their books to sort of account for it and stuff like that. That's right. Um, it's it, the actual management houses of them, uh, their talent managers and things like that. Uh, they were just again bucketing it as a uh, sort of a per post, just as you would with like an Instagram post. So they were kind of lumping it into there. So it's just an interesting space to, to keep track on. Um, and see, you know, as it evolves. How did you, so if you, at the very beginning when Unilever approached you, um, was it always the plan to do something with influencers and a morning routine and to do something, did they come to you with this already kind of, you know, half an understanding of what they wanted to do? Or was your job as part of the strategy side of things, Matt, is to try and figure out that sort of stuff in terms of what would work well and and, and what would be the kind of plan of action? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a big part of our process, if someone um, isn't coming to us with an idea kind of already baked that they're looking for our opinion on how to kind of augment with voice is to, like you say, come to them with a few different ideas, come to a few different ways in of how to use the technology in an interesting way. So uh, we definitely went down a few different roads with this, um, largely around, um, you know, skincare kind of tips and help. Um, but there were a few different angles. One was kind of just doing that as a brand, using Alexa's voice, um, potentially bringing in a quiz or some gamification elements into an experience if someone wanted to uh, do it that way. There was some other thinking around uh, utilities, um, things like, you know, timing your morning routine or even timing your brushing your teeth and things like that. Um, and then there was some other thinking around uh, some CSR work that they've done uh, that could be tied into this where, you know, the more you use it, potentially the more you could contribute to something. Um, but ultimately we landed on this idea of influencers, um, A, because they had some of the talent available to work with and B, we knew this was a uh, theme of the audience that we were trying to capture was that they really respected these different uh, social media influencers and vloggers and they regularly turned to them for advice in this space. Um, so that was one piece of it. And then the second piece was um, just as the skill store and the uh, voice experience world in general gets more crowded, um, it's a little harder to become unique, uh, especially around some of these competitive areas like um, personal uh, care and solutions there. So um, there already are you know, a fair amount of utilities and tips and things like that. So we felt like bringing in the influencers and doing it through this unique format where it was one influencer per week kind of hosting, um, you know, made it a little bit more uh, differentiated in the market and gave it a reason to exist. And was it always going to be a pilot or, or was it, I mean, is there a reason why, did they come to you and say, this is only going to be a pilot, we only want to do it for seven weeks? Was that always the plan or was it that, um, what, what what was the thinking around the pilot? I'm just thinking whether it was intended to be a seven week thing or whether it was it might have been longer and were you thinking about making it longer and was there a reason why it didn't go beyond the seven weeks? What Can you just explain a little bit about the the concept of piloting? Uh, yeah, a bit of both, a bit of uh, dictated by kind of the availability of the influencers and the content, you know, and the budgets, uh, but also, also, yes, the intention was definitely to pilot 
something, some sort of experience so that we could report back on learnings and uh, see where we uh, want to take this in the future. So uh, I think what's interesting about it too is as with any pilot, um, we wanted to provide an actual case for how it impacted the business in some way. And what we found was, and Matt, keep me honest on the data, but what we found was around 10% of the users uh, actually account linked um, and provided their email address over to Unilever, uh, which then got them subscribed to a couple uh, newsletters. You know that uh, these unit the brands that were participating were then able to use to promote uh, content, you know, couponing uh, and things like that. So uh, we took that to be a really, really positive sign that people were in exchange for value and in exchange for entertainment um, were were willing to uh, provide. Their email address over to uh, you know receive uh, more information on the products they were hearing about and also the influencers they were hearing about so we thought that was uh, that was really interesting and um, while it's on hold now at the moment so if you go and search the store um, it's not up at the moment we are definitely in active uh, discussions uh, and some planning around um, a, a more robust uh, next version of this that, that would include you know a, a larger set of influencers a larger set of content um, really kind of uh, blowing this out to where we would call like your walk version. If, if the crawl was the pilot, uh, moving into that walk version and, and hopefully letting it um, be alive uh, for uh, indefinitely. 10%, that, that seems amazing. I mean, if you consider just website-based conversion rates, uh, 10% is looking pretty good for something that's marketing related and account linking is not an easy thing for users to do. Is that something that you felt was pretty unique because you built this experience up so well, or is that, are those numbers actually something that anyone can achieve? I think it depends. Um, it, it, it was a bit unique in that it certainly was a little higher <laughs> than we were expecting, but it's it's because another thing that we like to hammer uh, home is uh, this whole idea of system thinking. So we worked really closely with Unilever's um, email marketing and CRM partners to create uh, a really, really beautifully designed email that included a lot of really interesting resources and content. It certainly wasn't a sell. Um, it was very much a, here's a lot of useful stuff. And then at the end, you know, had a little information about purchasing, but what we did was using, you know, utilizing our VX team, we really, uh, interrogated when and where would be the appropriate times to offer this to the user, right? So it definitely wasn't right off the bat. You would get into it um, only, I think, two of, of the, the week, uh, two of the pieces of content of the week even alluded to a product. And I think those were those moments when we said, oh, and by the way, if you'd like, you can add this to, you know, your uh, your shopping list, um, or if you'd like, we have an end of week recap that we send that's going to have all sorts of awesome resources and actually, you know, have some interesting uh, in info about the influencer. Um, and so that really uh, drove the uh, their their willingness to uh, to account link and to you know uh, provide their information. I think uh, what's what's a key takeaway on this piece is the influencers certainly drove. A lot of the usage and a lot of the account linking as well. So I think their their tribes sort of jumped onto the tool to hear their favorite influencers, um, and they were willing to do whatever, including give give info uh, to to get that recap and to get more information on them and, and more resources from them. If you were to do this again, do you think you would consider adding Amazon Pay and selling the products right there within this skill as well? 
Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a that's a good question. Uh, I love to say that we would, but I think that even the addition of the um, the the opportunity to add it to your shopping list was feeling to all of us, you know, was feeling, including the client, uh, pretty much at the at the border of you know of making it too salesy and making it too too marketingy. So um, maybe because it just makes a lot of sense, and, and you know, and by the way, we saw a couple percent uh, add to cart, you know, as well. So I mean, it's not like people weren't doing it, uh, but I think we would probably stop short of uh, of the purchase. Is that a a market timing thing, as in at the at this moment in time being salesy and people might not be expecting it or they might not want that kind of content, right? Is that is that a timing thing or is that the nature of this platform is that you need to be providing value rather than jumping straight in for the kill? So uh, from my perspective, I think it's a couple things in this experience. I think um, one is that, yes, based on the, the way the experience was branded and what people were coming to it for, it was really to hear these influencers and get these tips and really build up uh, you know, just awareness of the products um, and affinity for these influencers and the brands that were featured there. So uh, I think the second you kind of shift from, you know, trying to just give them genuine advice and authentic uh, tips uh, into more of a sales pitch, as, as Nick is calling it here, um, you know, I think people can sense that and they felt, you know, it maybe was a little disingenuine. And I think that's something we've seen on some other uh, reviews in the marketplace too, is when some of these uh, experiences do try to kind of become too promotionally, it's no longer such a conversational experience. And it's more like just a new form of advertising, which people don't always want. Um, so I think that's one piece of it is sort of how you're branding the experience and being upfront with it. Um, you know, conversely, we've seen uh, you know, some people make experiences that are very product focused and it's more about FAQs and how to use the product. And in that case, it makes a lot of sense to have, um, you know, opportunities to reorder right there or shorten the path to purchase. So um, I think, again, it just really just depends how you're positioning it um, from an experience level. And then uh, the other side of this, too, to your point, Kane, is um, just market timing on where we are with kind of commerce and voice in general. Um, I think most people um, are not yet fully comfortable just to go ahead and come to these things to free form order, um, smart speakers that is. But uh, what we are seeing is a lot of data saying people might be doing research. Um, however, kind of ambiguous that term is, they might be wanting to learn more about products through an experience. Um, they might be wanting to kind of use them to again, generate awareness of the products and then come back to it on another channel later. So um, we're seeing it grow as an important point uh, in the journey of someone learning about a product and ultimately purchasing it, but not yet becoming um, kind of the largest endpoint to actually uh, convert to purchase so um, it's a little early on that side of things but again uh, also a big piece of this is how you're branding and positioning the experience that you're putting out there you, you mentioned uh, the research is a little nebulous and uh, you know I've never actually done it but I imagined is influencer marking is pretty nebulous as well uh, how how are brands that you're working with measuring the impact of voice? Uh, you talked a little bit about the account linking, but uh, how are they trying to get at, uh, okay, well, we've launched this voice application and people are using it to research and, and that's driving skills. Is there anything you can do on the data there to prove out the case? Yeah, so this is actually a really good segue. Uh, and I think we can uh, we can talk about uh, Nike, you know, is one, is one way uh, how we just pulled off 
um, that experience and, and you know the direct learnings from it. But I think that's again starting with the strategic uh, area. So how we approach it is you know the overlap of the consumer insight, the business drivers, and then the digital ecosystem. And what we like to say is if we find within that overlap, if we can get to that strategic territory, we're going to be generally right in some way, and it's going to generally correctly guide what it is we build and make it uh, a lot easier to set KPIs against and a lot easier to set um, information against. So for instance, in the case of Unilever, they're pretty advanced as an organization. They have a global uh, voice lead. Um, and so when we had our conversation with her, we took her through the strategy, we took her through all the work uh, involved. And when we got to the KPIs area, a lot of it was around setting benchmarks for the first time because they just she understood that it hadn't been done before so we might as well set some uh, areas and some ratios and some percentages to then work off of over time versus saying oh, you need to hit exactly these numbers because it's just impossible right now to, to do that so uh, i thought that was really refreshing and that's definitely a way that i uh, approach our conversations with new prospects and clients is let's 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 figure out the learnings. Let's figure out the benchmarks we want to set, uh, and then, or sorry, the, you know, the insights we want to learn, and then we'll use those as benchmarks to then measure against over time. So, Matt, I don't know if you want to add on to that, but uh, I think we can transition to uh, to Nike as well to to talk about you know how how we had, had some immediate uh, insight there. Yeah, I mean, I would just kind of echo, Nick, what you're saying briefly before you move on here. Um, I think the clients today are thinking of it largely as sort of a place to get learnings uh, and experiment and learn what they can about the channel now. Um, as a lot of the market data is pointing that this is going to be a behavior that continues to grow um, exponentially, and people are going to be having more and more devices that are voice first or conversation first. Um, although we're not, you know, fully there yet, and people still use a lot of mobile and still use a lot of uh, desktop and that's you know probably never going to go away fully but uh, they want to understand how people are using uh, these experiences and try and let, like Nick said set benchmarks and understand you know what they should be aiming for so I think the people uh, the clients that are thinking of it that way that are trying to kind of use it as an innovation test and to understand how best to design experiences are going to benefit from this later um, as opposed to some of the conversations we have um, you know where people have very short-term immediate sales goals for example you know this might not be the best thing to uh, invest in right out the gate to sell everything, uh, depending on what kind of client you are, um, given kind of the maturity of the behavior around purchasing through voice. So um, it's really about, um, again, kind of setting the right KPIs, like Nick said, and framing it correctly. So what, what are we going to learn from this? And um, if you are a little bit more results oriented, uh, I think most clients find account linking and using voice as kind of a hook into the rest of their ecosystem, um, a very appealing proposition. So um, just like Nick was mentioning on Unilever, we were pretty excited to see that 10% uh, actually opt in to ongoing email marketing from Unilever. You know, that's a, a significant amount of people that they can now, you know, put their whole marketing stack against in other channels. Uh, and that kind of the origin of that was voice. So um, I think that's a really interesting way to approach it for now. There is some interest. So, I mean, that, as Dustin said, 10% is a 
a wildly high conversion rate compared to other channels. And I remember we spoke to Nick Schwab um, of Invoked Apps, and I don't know whether you, whether you guys have listened to any of the um, the ambient sound skills, you know, the, the fireside sounds and the city sounds and stuff like that. Um, when we were talking to Nick, he was saying that he has about 150,000 users a day, and the conversion rate from people going into trial the premium version of the skill is around about 2%, which he said was fairly typical. But of the 2% that tried the premium feature, 90% of them went ahead and paid for it. So I do. there is signs that there's something about the voice channel that has a higher conversion rate. And I don't know what, I don't know if you've got any observations on why that might be. Well, first off, that's very interesting. And yeah, we're definitely familiar with Invoked and, and the work he's doing. What, what a network he's built. You know, that's the way I look at it. It's just this, this gigantic group of, of experiences that have such a, such a huge audience now. So um, I, I have one takeaway on that. I think to me, it's, it's just so much easier to, to say yes, right? You know, and to just sort of opt in um, when the friction is, is as low as possible, right? Or is removed. So I know that there's times when, uh, certainly on mobile apps, uh, you know, you'll, you'll start a freemium, uh, you know, experience, uh, and you'll have to enter all of your information first. And, and there's a lot of um, terms and conditions and just a lot of detail. And there's just, uh, I think, a lot of barriers to maybe really actually doing it, you know, and committing to it. And this kind of can help alleviate that where you, you bury it into a, a post, you know, an email that comes to you afterwards or, um, you know, you kind of just can split the journey up a little bit as far as uh, how you how you capture that and, and potentially convert later on. Uh, that's just a thought. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And uh, I think another side to this, too, from my perspective, is just finding a really awesome use case, too, for voice, right? Like, I think, you know, ambient sounds are something that people are likely going back to maybe to help them sleep. Um, something like Headspace, which we worked on, where people are doing, you know, daily, perhaps multi-times a day uh, meditations. Um, once you get them into that routine and they're coming back to this thing and it's in their home and it's something they want to use every day, I think it's, to Nick's point, much easier to say, yes, I want to continue this experience and, you know, get even more out of it because it's now really part of my daily life, uh, which is, I think, you know, candidly what a lot of the skills on the store or the actions on the uh, you know, Google network um, suffer from this kind of these one shot, you know, entertaining things that developers are coming up with and are, you know, very important in their own right for kind of the maturing of the market. But um, a lot of these things don't really drive re-engagement or, or focus on, you know, a recurring use case. So I think the stuff that's going to convert uh, from, to a, from a monetization standpoint, like a freemium model or something like that, um, is really going to be trying to build routine and embed itself into kind of daily behavior. You've mentioned Nike a few times and we were discussing KPIs and, and monitoring and, and things like that. And, and we, you were going to go on, uh, Nick, I think, to talk about the, the Nike work. Was that something that, well, first of all, do you want to give us a bit of an overview of that project? And then was that something that did have a defined aim output for it? Yes, absolutely. So in the case of Nike, they approached us and said, we want to create the first ever voice activated voice driven sneaker drop um, and so you know for any listeners out there the sneaker drop 
especially in the case of Nike, is when they release a, a very rare, uh, sought-after uh, pair of sneakers for a short window of time, right? And you have to work pretty hard to get that pair. Um, and it's it's an entire culture that's built around this, and it's it's really uh, it's interesting. So uh, we obviously were very excited at the prospect of, of this and, and digging into it. Um, we did the work, you know, we, we sort of started with a discovery. We absolutely had to figure out the, the, just how we would do this. But um, in partnership with RGA, you know, one of their creative partners, uh, we kind of found out that the plan was to do this sneaker drop during a, a live NBA telecast um, on TNT. Okay, so with a viewership of around 2.1 million people, they were going to do some sort of embedded partnership uh, during a Boston Celtics uh, Lakers basketball game. Again, very exciting, very cool. So, um, so working closely with Nike and with the RGA team, we developed a, a Google Action uh, that made use of the Sneakers API, which is Nike's um, again sneaker drop app. Uh, you can purchase, uh, you know, uh, new and rare drops uh, off that application. Um, we were able to uh, develop an experience and make use of that so that uh, on that basketball game at halftime of the game, um, the experience went live and actually enabled uh, people from all over the world to um, to potentially try and uh, purchase a pair of these brand new sneakers that were dropping um, they're the Nike Adapt BBs, if you're curious. They're the sort of um, 12th, 15th, 20th evolution of the mags that auto lace. Um, I, I don't want to go too far down that path, but they're a very cool new sneaker technology from Nike. Um, and at halftime, you were able to use the Google Action to um, to purchase those, you know, have a shot at uh, buying the pair of sneakers uh, just with your voice um, in the Google Assistant app. So. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, we can definitely go into more detail, but the idea there was obviously a very, very specific moment in time that an entire system supported and, and made happen. Uh, everything from your media partners to the technology had to be perfect to the inventory management, everything had to be ready to roll for this moment uh, in which we were absolutely able to report on exactly what the KPI was, which was during this short period of time, how many sneaker sales, you know, did we move via voice? And uh, let me tell you, I can't get into the numbers here and now, but uh, a lot, a significant amount um, in, a, in a very, very short time. Kane, were you able to pick up a pair of those sneakers? Unfortunately not. Uh, I didn't. I didn't actually know at the time that it was happening. But uh, yeah, they are. They are. I'm a huge, huge fan of Nike, and I've been dying to get a pair of them self-lacing ones. So, but no, I missed out unfortunately. We have good. Yeah, we have good intel that they might be making another appearance uh, soon. One of the tricky things I imagine was that this was all happening at once, right? You guys, uh, there was a sneaker job, it was happening. You had to be prepared for that giant influx of users and it had to stand up in regards to the infrastructure. But also, uh, you didn't have the option, I would assume, to you know roll out small tests, see how people were interacting with it, make sure that you've got the intents and the utterances matched right. What did you do to make sure that once this happened, everything was going to go smoothly. 
Yeah, it's funny to say that a, a lot of testing that toward the toward the end, you know, as we approach launch, um, we actually would set a cross office, cross company uh, calendar, uh, you know, calendar invite with instructions, and everyone was meant to hit it, you know, at the same time, and everyone was meant to ask different questions and and do all of these things at the same time to just make sure um, that it was not only serving the correct. Uh, you know the correct information, but that it was staying up. Uh, and again, we opened that up to to RGA and to Nike as well. Um, we posted up there, uh, sort of war room style, uh, a day uh, or two before, uh, just to kind of make sure we were doing all that. Turned up, uh, uh, you know, all the hosting requirements uh, far beyond our, our needs, you know, at the time. And uh, just yeah, it's a really good point. But you have to ensure it was ready, and we were we were confident that it was ready for at least a percentage of that 2.1 million i think we, we went for about one percent of that we would we would be definitely ready for or beyond um thankfully you know we didn't come near that number because that's still a lot of people um but uh, we were ready for it and uh yeah it, it all went smoothly what is the typical what's the typical well what not typical because that's a, that's a one-off example if i've ever seen one what is the lead time on something like that and then how what was the interaction time so how long did it take from nike approaching you to discovery to build testing and then how long was it actually live and active and being interacted with for yeah, so it was actually probably October um, over the holidays uh, to the you know to the February seven launch. So uh, it was it was tight um, considering we did do the an upfront discovery and considering we leaned on Nike, who as part of their uh, big marketing plan, anyways, was capturing all sorts of incredible footage all sorts of assets and imagery that they were feeding to us that we were then, you know, accounting for and how we were building the skills. So there was a pre-scenario, a drop scenario, and a post-scenario that we had built out, uh, all of which had some really, really, like I said, cool um, audio from the basketball players that were involved and uh, and things like that. Um, and so similar to the Rise and Shine piece, they wanted to pull off the experience and then leave it on for a bit, you know, for that post experience. But the intention was always to to take it down um, after a set period of time following the game to, uh, again, report, discuss internally. And, um, you know, we're in active discussions as far as where and how we, you know, we re uh, introduce this to the market, uh, potentially for another drop, uh, potentially as part of a broader uh, campaign. But um, yeah, so so I would say it was about uh, October to February um, discovery, uh, all the design, development, testing, launch, uh, and then for a few weeks after that, on post. Wow. So yeah, so it's just, just about four months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's interesting. So, um, was there anything? Obviously, you mentioned there you had to scale up the servers and stuff like that. Was there anything else specifically different about either the strategy work or the design work or the development work that went into something like this? Was there anything specifically different than than what would be typical in, in a normal kind of project? Uh, actually, not not really. So I think again, we like to call our process battle tested uh, for a reason. You know, I mean, we don't we we're not rigid in the way that in the way that we must do 
every project the exact same way in the exact order of things. There's absolutely flexibility, but I think that we've created solid enough guardrails where within those guardrails, we can be a little flexible and we can kind of bend a little bit. And um, thankfully, we, we leaned on our process in a really big way to make this one happen uh, as quickly and with as many partners um, as involved as, as there were. So. Um, no, you know, I, I wouldn't say that there was really anything markedly different than the way we uh, do any of our other experiences. It's a, it's a really, really good example. I love that um, the concept of a sneaker. And now they've got the, the, the they've got the innards now. You've got well, have got the the capability to do that potentially for every single sneaker drop from now on, and not even for sneaker drops, but presumably that the stuff that you've built and the kind of insides of it all can be used for any kind of product launch you could sell you know glastonbury ticket sales and festival ticket sales and you can then scale that to only any kinds of stuff can't you exactly kane and i think what you're what you're bringing up to is like something that was exciting to me is we're still trying to i hate to use the word force but we're still trying to coerce behaviors in some ways with voice you know it's obvious that when you turn on your device from the start, you're you're asking the weather, you're asking it questions, you're doing things that replace a mobile app or that replace other things from day one. That's obvious, right? So, and, and we know that, and that's incredible in its own way. In this way, as we're learning the behavior of voice first, you're, you're needing experiences like this to say, wow, I just did that. I actually just used my voice to purchase this pair of sneakers. That's cool, I would do that again you know, or I would potentially try that in another way uh, down the road. And as we do that at, at a big enough scale, uh, I think we'll really start to get to where we're all trending to, where we're all wanting to go with this, right? Which is just kind of this voice led way of interacting and of, of uh, transacting and of doing uh, anything. So I thought it was really cool that, uh, that you know, Nike uh, really wanted to try uh, and pull this off, but again, the system that supported it is really what made that forced behavior, that that coerced behavior of this voice purchase um, happen. You know, your your tech has to be there, your your media and your promotion of it has to be there. It all has to come together for this one moment where people have this delightful experience and just bought a pair of sneakers with their voice. The interesting thing about this is. Uh, if you think back to the 1920s and the 1930s, right, everyone would gather around radio. And this is, you know, uh, another thing that people are gathering around, maybe talking about the next day. It turns into a real social thing. Uh, but still, uh, at the end of the day, social and voice haven't mixed super well. What are some of the limitations that you're seeing? What are some of the features you'd like to see that would enable that? All right, I'm going to take this one definitely because I've been talking with Matt um, about this for a little while now. I'm I'm obsessed with this this idea of loops, you know, these content loops and uh, sort of the way in which your Pinterest of the world grew so quickly. And what I think we're lacking in voice at the moment, and, and maybe it's on purpose or it's by design, but I don't think we can complete the loop, meaning the sharing and viral loop. So when you build an experience, it's, it's meant to be individualized in a lot of ways, right? You're experiencing it on your own, but the things you're doing within that can't be shared out and, and can't be grabbed onto by others to then do something as well with and share it and then do something as well and share it. And, and that constant loop where it is, it's growing itself. So I think that that's why we haven't really found that 
that viral sensation of a voice experience in, in a lot of ways because it's just it's just too contained. It can't really it can't catch on fire. You know, it can't spread in a way that something can where you get it and you share it and then that's seen by 10 people they create and share and then that it just amplifies and amplifies uh, over time so i do think um, i'm constantly trying to figure out um how we get to this like what's voices version of this loop you know of this creation sharing you know um loop and and the other piece of this is I think uh, blueprints, right, with with the introduction of this platform and ability for anyone to share something and put it out there, it's a signal toward maybe it's possible because now you've exposed this ability to create these these um, you know a little more simple and basic experiences, but you've exposed it to so many more people and. and there's going to be all sorts of like interesting creatives out there that do something that might just make that happen, might just catch on and. Uh, maybe they share the link out and, and it catches on like wildfire and everyone is is uh, using this thing but um i don't know it's it's a half-baked thought as you can see but there's 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 just a piece missing of this ability to uh, make it spread yeah I, I would agree with that nick and i think you know what, what we're seeing a lot of in lieu of that is actually kind of in my view like traditional social media tactics start to kind of bleed into the voice world and you know it's things it reminds me of you know back when people were brands were starting like facebook pages um and it was before kind of they shifted their whole model to be pay to play and they were running advertisements um and you know they would do kind of all of these um somewhat scrappy you know tactics to get people to the page and try and uh uh, you know, get them to engage. And that's why I think we're seeing success with things like Rise and Shine, where you have an influencer takeover, or um, like, you know, Nike, where we're taking, you know, a live moment, a live event that people are already interested in trying to drum up interest around that moment where people are going to be watching that game. And we're saying, tune into this experience during this time to get this. Um, you know, it's very similar to what was happening on the early days of social. If you were a brand sponsoring an event, you know, we'd say we have some exclusive content come here during this time to see it. Um, and even as far as like, you know, celebrity takeovers and things like this, this is just an aside, but um, I found it interesting this past week or so that you've seen, uh, you know, Google Assistant has now John Legend, um, you know, an R&B singer here, uh, taking over some of the voice commands for the native operating system. So if you ask the weather, uh, you know, he might come back and respond with what the weather is. And uh, seeing with Alexa this week, they launched something where if you say good morning, it's uh, this comedian Billy Crystal. So I think um, they're sort of testing these different ways to get people interested in trying to use these features more regularly. And I think some of these tactics of, um, you know, tried and true, you know, early social media um, is working well. Things like takeovers, things like influencers, um, things like live events. Um, and then, you know, even early days of advertising, we're starting to see flash briefings, news briefings get, um, you know, sponsorship placements and things like that. So um, I definitely think it's, it's trending in the direction uh, that social was and that it's um, people are getting very savvy about how to drive people to the platform in other ways. Um, again, because to Nick's point, there is no uh, share or retweet button, if you will. It's kind of limited at the moment uh, until we see more kind of experience to experience capabilities um, or shareability. Uh, so anyway, I think, I think that's just an interesting trend that you know Nick and I have had our eye on. It's just this idea of how people are trying to sort of force the experiences to become more viral using you know traditional tactics or outside channels. And is that, so 
what you're explaining there, because it sounds as though the Unilever one, that got traffic because of the outside influences that were using their social platforms to then push people towards it. And I don't know if you've seen, I don't know if it's even available over in America, the Joe Wicks skill. Uh, we were speaking to Voxley last night. They did a presentation at an event I was at about, they created the, the Joe Wicks skill. And that's exactly what he did. He tweeted and, and sent a load of stuff over Instagram to get people to the skill. That's what kind of drove it. And then the Nike one, you've got a global brand at a really, really popular event that lots of people are going to pay attention to. Certainly if you're even half interested in trainers or sneakers you will be on that you know what I mean like white on rice so those are things that are that are outside of the voice sphere sending traffic to the voice sphere but then when you're when you're in the voice sphere the devices are they're very personal devices aren't they personal assistants aren't they so it is very much a one-on-one relationship is is what you're saying there in terms of we need more ways for things to spread virally is what you're saying, is it that we need more external things to spread the voice and the news of what's happening over here virally? Or does there need to be something within the device itself to spread through device to device to device? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think when we approach this, we, we think about, uh, we definitely think beyond the device anyways, just as just voices, as if this is this like ever-present permanent, you know, permanent thing. Um, but I think that... Um, so the device has some built-in features, right? You know that if you create a blueprint, you can share it to another device. It's a little wonky, right? It's a little, it's a little involved, but you can do that. So that, that stuff exists. And uh, I think it's more like, it's more about, uh, say you're using a, a mobile app, right? That mobile app uh, that you know inherently has sharing features. So let's say it's Pinterest, let's call it that. So if you're on your mobile app and you're on your Pinterest, uh, that's still very individual and personal to you. It's your board, you're pinning to it, you're, you're experiencing it in your own way. But at the same time, you're able to quickly drop into a social aspect and you're able to quickly share out what you're doing as well. So it's individualized, but it still has those components that would let it grow and, you know, that that can spread to other users. So we're just constantly thinking about what is Voices version of that, you know, and and is there one? And is it, is it, does it have to play out via the Alexa, Google Assistant apps, or does it have to happen contained in the device? Um, Or can it happen within just the skill experience in some way? So, uh, you know, via account linking and some some way to share out uh, from it just using my voice. So um, we haven't cracked it, obviously, but uh, there's definitely the terms in which uh, I'm thinking about this stuff. And I think once we someone does, you you really start to see uh, like once we have this social um, experience that's voice first, this voice driven, you know, you're going to see some uh, I think you're going to see it take off. Like, I actually would like to hear you guys, you know, um, take on, on that. And uh, it's tough because I know there's, you know, I know there's WhatsApp, I know there's WeChat, and there's there's all the messaging services in, in other countries above and beyond here. It's it's largely voice. It's, that's all they're doing is these users are voice interacting and they're voice messaging. So you could, you could kind of consider that, that social aspect, but... I'm just trying to go a little bit, yeah, more above and beyond that. And I I don't know, I don't have the answer. So I guess if you guys had any thoughts or feedback there, um, I'd be interested to hear it. What do you think, Dustin? You know, the 
thing that I was thinking of as soon as you said this is are things like memes and, and things that spread uh, pretty rapidly uh, on social networks, certainly, but even before, uh, for those of us who remember life before social networks. And uh, this video series by a guy, Kirby Ferguson, called Everything is a Remix, that just talks about how these things spread because you you take one thing, you build on top of it, you make it your own, you want to share it, and then someone else wants to do the same. And uh, I think you're right. Right now, voice doesn't really have that mechanism to do it. It's still really much, even if it's interact, it is definitely interactive, but there is certainly a broadcast aspect of it. Uh, and things like blueprints are interesting, but uh, we need to empower more people to be able to get in there and and take what you guys are doing and see if they can make it better. And you can learn from that and make it even better on top of that. That's a good point. The remix piece is really cool. You know, another piece that it could be interesting to see how it develops over the next few years is just, you know, as people incorporate voice more and more in these platforms into their general presence on channels, I think getting better at, um, you know, having cross-channel connectivity. So um, even if we can't share directly from, let's say, Alexa Skill or Google Action, you know, is there a chat bot or a Facebook Messenger bot um, or some other conversational platform that people can start on and maybe share from there? And the expectation of the user can be that I can just ask my Alexa for this and it'll pick up and know who I am and know that I started this on that other platform. So I think that's where we might see some growth um, is just seeing more of those multi-platform experiences and, uh, you know, better awareness of who the user is and where they came from. And, you know, if they were referred to a friend from a Facebook bot onto an Alexa skill, um, it's, it's just this idea of kind of pushing more and more towards being contextually aware. Um, then I think we have, you know, at least a shot at getting more people into uh, conversational experiences more quickly and, and through more channels. So expanding from that perspective. Matt, Matt makes a really, really good point here, and he's actually alluding to the Meredith work that I know um, we haven't gotten into, uh, but that's totally, yeah, that's totally, uh, that's totally aligned as well, is how do we um, pull out, you know, some of the core experience from, from the voice uh, delivered one, uh, you know, and uh, share it through um, messaging channels, you know, and things like that to... Uh, to help spread that growth. But yeah, if we had a little more time, we could go into to the Meredith, but I think that what Matt provided there is a, it's definitely a good ending uh, yeah. to, the, to the idea. Yeah, it's almost as if it's, it, so I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, to get to the, the point of that is that it's almost as if we need to find ways of bringing the voice assistance from over here into the rest of the ecosystem which is already over here which is the mobile the social ecosystem that already exists if you're going to share something on twitter you're going to share something on facebook you're going to share something through a chatbot you're going to share something on instagram it's almost finding a way of bringing it into that ecosystem rather than trying to create its own ecosystem is that is that what you're getting at yeah absolutely and again just contextual awareness of, of where someone's coming from. So, you know, I, I foresee a world in which, you know, someone could text me a link to something and I should be able to open that and it should trigger, you know, a reminder on my Alexa or a notification or something like that on my smart speaker um, to kind of get started with this experience that Nick shared with me or that I started myself previously. But um, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it's really... Um, a matter of kind of maturing both kind of internally. We definitely want to see 
more connectivity of the devices to the rest of the ecosystem. And you know, externally, we want to see that ecosystem account for uh, the devices in a more meaningful way. Uh, certainly. And I, I don't know if HQ is still a thing, but it certainly was burning bright for, for a while there. And there's no way it would have taken off that quickly if it was just a voice a- application. And I couldn't have said, Nick invited me. Nick is getting extra lives. And they had that spread in there. Fantastic. Nick, Matt, this has been absolutely immense. I think we've advanced something in. We've got some fantastic insights. We've got a lot of strategic angles and guidance for, for the brands and agencies listening. We've got a lot of tips for, for the developers listening. And I think we've also advanced the general thinking of voice and shareability and discoverability and all that kind of stuff. It's been absolutely immense. Thank you so much. Where can people reach out to you guys? Where can people figure out what's going on with you and, and follow you online? Well, thanks a lot, Kane. I uh, appreciate it. Thank you, Dustin. Uh, yeah, you can find us at rain.agency, uh, and there is where we post, uh, obviously, our thought leadership, and there's a subscribe there for the Voice on Voice newsletter if anyone's interested, but I uh, really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Kane. That was Nick Roviza and Matt Lang. Wow. that The last couple of minutes of that podcast there, I think we were we were just getting started it's a shame we ran out of time we were really really kind of developing our thinking there on on voice and social and how it can potentially merge together how can we make voice experiences spread how can we bring voice into the ecosystem the the current social and technology ecosystem or mobile ecosystem so i think there's definitely some left on the table there nick and matt and we definitely need to revisit this conversation and and develop that train of thought um unbelievable insights i said towards the end there that we've we've had a huge kind of overview there from from some of the strategic angles that some of the big brands like unilever and nike are taking you know based on from ranging from essentially pilot studies trying out ideas to product launches you know and, and aiming for sales and what I found really interesting was talking about the KPIs side of things in that brands right now and the way that Rain are advising brands right now is to not set KPIs but use this as an opportunity to baseline some metrics just just to put something out there and see what metrics you can gather and then and then from there you can see which levers you can pull and which KPIs actually uh, make sense to measure um, which is the same situation you know I've been in that situation a couple of times where you implement a system where previously there was no technology you know Excel spreadsheets and emails and then you implement a CRM now you've got data now you can actually baseline things and then you can start measuring going forward so it seems as though that's a situation that we're in right now with voice and there were some really interesting examples of how to get traffic to skills and it seems as though most of the traffic has been driven outside of the voice ecosystem so the influencers sending traffic via their social channels and it's the same for the joe wicks experience that's the same way that that gets traffic um, and then you've got nike obviously broadcast media on tv halftime during a really popular basketball game sending people uh to to it that way Really, really interesting conversation. I think that uh, Rain are doing some absolutely amazing stuff, amazing work. Really, really deeply appreciate Matt and Nick joining us for the conversation. Uh, and as I say, this has been Rain Week. It's been absolutely fantastic. We've had Greg, Greg Hedges, Nick Roviza, Matt Lang. And I think that this week we have learned a hell 
of a lot. So thank you so much, Rain, for, for doing this, for taking the time to do this. And we'll definitely continue the conversation about how to make voice experiences spread in the future. Thanks as ever to Justin. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Matt. And thank you all for listening. Until next time, see you later.